I'll get you to take out your Bibles if you have them. Turn to Exodus chapter 19, and we'll read this morning's passage together. Simon said at the start to mark it with your finger. I'm sure you all have been just waiting with bated breath. Exodus 19, verses 16 to 24. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alana, and good morning, everyone. Great to see you. I was encouraged when Jillian was up here, obviously by her prayer, but also the fact that, that she kind of did this with her glasses to try and look at the screen there. You guys see that nice big one? I've got that one there. And the way my, my eyesight is, I can't always read it there. So I'm going to take a minute and just set up here on my computer so I can, well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and click your screen and also remember to click mine. Uh, and if it doesn't work, then we'll just We'll see what happens. Um, so anyway, that's part of being the age that I am. It's, it's a bit of this, you know, up and down. And thank you, Megan. I think the band was awesome today, uh, as they always are. But, but thank you for, for this morning. So as, as Simon said at the beginning, we're, we're carrying on this journey uh, of the Israelites, uh, which is such a great picture when, when we think of the Israelites of, of our Christian journey. You know, Simon, I think the beginning talked about the Passover lamb, which in, in so many ways uh, is a shadow and a type of Jesus Christ. You know, the blood on the doorposts that must be applied and we enter new life, cross the Red Sea uh, and so on. And then the journey of the Israelites through the desert, what a, what a time of learning, disobedience, experience, but, but also the, the faithfulness of God. He sustained his people. You know, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. They were given manner, even though they were disobedient. And I think that pictures our walk sometime. We can be assured of his sustaining presence, even when we are disobedient. And then Canaan, kind of that, that time of victory, but, but also defeat, but a time of dependence. And I think we'll, we'll move into that a bit later on. So, so if, if you're here new today, that kind of is where we're at. And I've been given uh, uh, the, the, the privilege of looking at the, t the Ten Commandments and the Law of God. And the title is The Riches of God's Law. And Simon sent me this slide and he's texted me over the last few days and, and emailed me because I think he's a bit nervous. Are you a bit nervous? It's a big passage. So, so really, we're, we're looking at, at, at all the way from, um, 
from really the, the passage we read. So Exodus 19 all the way through 31. So put your seatbelts on because you're going to be here a while. And, and Simon's texts were like, you know, are you okay with the passage? Are you, you know, remember around 30 minutes, you know, so uh, I, I recognize the, the challenge of this. So, so I'm a bit nervous this morning. I'm a bit nervous because I've never spoken on God's law. I love speaking on, on the grace, uh, you know, of, of Jesus, his grace, his mercy, his love. I love speaking, I love sharing the gospel, but I've never spoken on God's law. Um, so I'm, I'm a little nervous. I just realized I haven't, I've already failed to move mine on. So you're already seeing my next one. And because I'm nervous, I thought I'd start with, with you know, something a little bit funny to make it a bit lighter. So uh, I think you can read that. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I love the fact there was no likes. And, and I think I'm a bit like, a bit like that. I'm not, uh, I, I think I'm a rebel at heart and I'm a nonconformist. It's funny because being British, you know, we, we tend to keep the rules and stand in line to do it. I think when we were in, in the EU, the, the, uh, the European Union, kind of for the Brits, it was always, we used to say, the Germans make the rules, the French break the rules, and the British stand in line to keep them. And that's, that's kind of how, how it was for us. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm a, a little bit nervous this morning, so, so bear with me. Um, so the Ten Commandments. I, I've, this week, I've, as I've been going to different uh, I, I'm a project manager, so I'm on a lot of building sites. I've asked various people, uh, from, from uh, carpenters to tilers uh, to painters, I said, you know, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? And everybody had, had heard of them, even, and there's varying ages, probably from, you know, 20s to, to 50s, yeah, and even maybe 60s, had heard of the Ten Commandments. So I said, do you know them? And, uh, and I think all of them, except for the tiler, he didn't know any. Uh, but all of them at least said two of the Ten Commandments, which was kind of interesting. But it sparked an incredible conversation uh, in, in, in many of the instances. And I encourage you, there's a challenge for you this week. When, when you go back to work or school and somebody says, what did you do this weekend? You know, maybe you avoid saying you went to church, but, but say you went to church and we talked about the Ten Commandments and that's your in. You know, have you heard of them? What do you think of them? And just see where that, where that takes you in your conversation. It, it, was, it was really, really good. But none of them would let me film them. I thought it'd be kind of fun for us to, not fun or just to, but nobody would let, you know, I, I wanted to, I borrowed the, the mic from here, except for my neighbor, one of my neighbors. And, uh, and she's awesome. She says, I don't care what people think. So here we go. Oh, no volume. Shall I go back one and can we try again? Thou shalt oh. not kill. We'll start yeah, over. That's a good... Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Yes. What are they? Thou shalt not kill. That's a good one. <laughs> Anything else would just be guessing. Can't remember. Okay, no problem. Um, are they relevant today? Uh, are, they, are they worth us knowing today? I'd have to review them, but I think that yes, definitely. Thank you. I think it's couldn't hurt, could it? <laughs> That's great. Thank you. It'd be relevant. Yeah, she's awesome. So that, that, Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Oh, there we go. Okay, oops, I don't want you to see that yet. Let me go back. Okay, so what I want you to do really quickly is I want you to, with the person next to you, let's see if you can come up with the Ten Commandments. So, so just take, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Just, you, you know them, right? Do it real quick. Come up with the Ten.
Okay, that's your time limit. All right. So uh, there's a lot of noise. I heard a lot of you, a lot of you talking. So lot, you must have got them all. But there was a few people kind of looking to the ceiling, kind of wondering. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many got ten? That's pretty good. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Okay. And there's a few of us that didn't. I must admit, I've done this not just with, with non-church, non-believers, but also with believers. And it's not easy, is it, to remember perhaps what are the most important uh, uh, commands that we find in the Bible. So, so the, the, the Ten Commandments, well, here they are. Oh, we'll get there. Oop. Okay. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You should have had that one because Megan told us that one this morning. Uh, you shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. I bet we forgot that one, maybe. Uh, you shall not murder. You should have had that because Darlene told us that. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet. And, and I kind of like this. One of the guys I asked who didn't know them texted me this, which makes it a little bit easier, uh, perhaps, than the thou's and thou shalt not. But I really like this one. I was kind of, uh, probably those of you know me, I kind of speak from my slides and I'm very visual. I like this one, the hillbilly Ten Commandments. I like number seven, no killing except for critters. <laughs> Quit your foul mouthing, no swiping your kinfolk stuff. Don't be hankering for them neither. So I love that, it's great. So uh, the, the hillbilly, that, so, so maybe there is a hillbilly here and this, this helps you. So there we go. I've got to keep to my 30 minutes, so you're going to have to look at those yourself a bit later. So uh, with, with the, the text we have, I, 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 I've struggled this week to kind of, where do we go with it? You know, do we look at each command? Um, and and I, I impressed myself, or Siri impressed me, because I, I thought, I, I, I want three points or five points, and this is it. And I got them all to be peace, and, and I really impressed myself by that. But I have to ask Siri, as I was driving around, I said, Siri, you know, what's a, make sure she doesn't say, answer me right now, but hey, Siri, what's another word for the beginning? Or, I, and she gave me peace eventually. So, so there we go. They're not perfect. So uh, bear with me, just uh, allow me to, to try and impress you first. And I love this. My, my last little funny here, I won't do any more, but, but I like this. And look what happens when I turn the tablet sideways, the text swipes, the text swivels the right way up. And then Aaron says to Moses, truly the work of God. So I think that's awesome. So um, we're going to look at the provision of the law. We're going to look at the parts of the law. We're going to look at the purpose of the law and the pinnacle. And uh, that was a tough one to get, pinnacle. So, so let's do that right now. So the provision of the law. Um, I want to suggest to you it was provided to a people in need of instruction. I think they were desperately in need of, of, of instruction. This had only been two months after they'd left Egypt. Maybe, maybe we don't recognize that when we think of of, of Sinai and giving of the law and everything else and all the design of the tabernacle and future temple. So it was only two months. They'd, they'd cross the Red Sea and then come to the foot of Mount Sinai. And, and Moses would go up and down about eight times. If you, if you read those, those chapters, I think it's maybe even more than eight, but, but I counted eight, up and down. You know, he, he goes up, the Lord talks to him, he comes down, he tells the people, then he's got to go back up again. So he must have been pretty fit by the end of, of that time. But it's over a year. It's a whole year that they were at, at, uh, at Sinai. Um, but, but I think they, they were people in need of instruction. It would, would have been about 500 years earlier that, that God had called Abraham. So the, the birth and the beginning of, of the Israelites. 
So this is high time that, that they were given instruction as God's chosen people, his holy people. And I want to suggest to you, it's because of, of who they were. And, and they were, um, for, and this is uh, the words of Moses, but you, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. So I, I think they, they needed the law because they were God's people. They were his holy people. And, and we read that passage, or Alana read that passage to us of, of the, uh, right, leading up to the giving of the law. Can you, can you picture that? The mountain quaking, fire, smoke, and everything else. It, it was a holy place. It was an awesome place where God was, was giving his word, his holy word, his law to his holy people. It, it was truly an awesome experience. So they, were, they are his holy people. And I want you to picture it not as, as a set of rules that, that are onerous. It's actually out of love, isn't it? You know, think of, of, of a father giving his children instruction for their safety, for their well-being. He's, he's the creator God uh, giving his creation, and not just that, but his, his chosen people instruction of how to live. And if you read the Ten Commandments, it's really for our benefit, isn't it? It's good that we don't murder one another. It's good that we don't cover. It's good that we don't commit adultery. And if God is our creator, we should put him first. He should be first in everything we do. So it's given to a, a holy people. Um, you shall be for me, these are, these are the verses leading up to it. You shall be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God's holy people, his children, as a father speaks to his children. And Simon actually read this verse to us too, as well. Um, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And I love the fact that it's not just instruction, but actually that this is why you need to listen to this, he's saying to the people, because of what I've done for you, because I brought you out of Egypt. I've carried you already these two months. I provided you with manna. You, you have clothing. I'm going to take care of you. And it's because of that that I've given these instructions. And that's the same for us, isn't it? You know, I, I like what, what Spurgeon says here, and, and it kind of relates to us. How do we what is our response to the law? I think most of us would say, well, we're not under the law anymore. But actually, the law is still uh, God's design for us. It's his character, it's his personality. And Spurgeon says, the best way to, for a man to keep the law is to make him love the lawgiver. And how do we love the lawgiver? By recognizing what he's done for us. Uh, I think that's key, isn't it? That, we understand that our response is not we do laws in order to be loved, but because we love him and because what he's done for us, uh, we are obedient. We thought at one time that God was a cool tyrant, but we have learned that he is our loving father. We could not have thought that he would have given his only begotten son to die as a substitute for us. But now that he has done, now that he has done so, we love him with all our hearts. So what is our response to what God has done for us and, and for what Jesus has done for us through the cross? Um, is it that we, we love him and we want to be obedient? Is that our heart? Is that our desire? Or do we just live as we want? So he, he, it was a, a provided, so the provision of law was provided to a people who needed instruction because of who they were, but because of also of where they'd come from. They come out of Egypt, and, and Egypt, as, as Simon probably shared at the beginning, I wasn't here that Sunday, but he talked about the plagues and how each plague kind of related to the gods of Egypt. So they came from a pagan society. They came out of a nation who, who worshipped the afterlife and, and, and some wicked gods and, and, and had idols and so on. And I, I'm astounded. When I got to the end of Joshua, the first time I read the book of Joshua, which is 
such a wonderful book of, of mainly a victory, at the end you find Joshua has to say to the people, he almost draws a line in the sand and he says, okay, if you're for the Lord, come to this side. If you're not, go to the other side. And he says this to them. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Can you believe that they'd carried things from Egypt 40 years through the desert and then another 30 years with Joshua? And they'd seen all that God has done, bringing them you know, out of Egypt, across the Jordan, all the battles they'd won um, and, and just his faithfulness right through. And yet they'd still carried things from Egypt. And it's a challenge for me. What do I still carry? What do I still carry from Egypt? I, I think that's, that's, that's kind of scary, isn't it? That that, that is possible. And, and we do, we carry things and we need to have sensitive hearts to, to, for the Lord to point those things out to us. And then we need to have his strength and wisdom how to, to set them down. So their, their provision of the law, because of who they were, because of where they'd come from, and then because of where they were going. And I could have put many verses up here to, to relate to this, because there's so many times where, where the Lord says to the people, you know, don't be like the nations around you. Be careful, don't intermarry. Uh, you need to destroy all these things. And, and this one as well. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices sons or daughters. And, and they were going into enemy territory. They were going into, into the world of, of wickedness and particularly the worship of Baal, which was very sexual and very, uh, there, was, there was death and, and lots of different things. So they needed instruction. And, and I think the Ten Commandments particularly would be aimed at where they were going. Um, and, and it's the same, isn't it, for in the New Testament? You think of the early church and, and most of the epistles, the instruction there was given to, to a people who, who had come to Christ, maybe at Pentecost, had gone back, some of them to, like the Ephesians, had gone back to a, a pagan society amongst Jews who didn't know Jesus. And, and they were, they were uh, puzzled as to how to live. How, how do we live? We've met Jesus. We've, we know the Messiah. How do we live? And Paul, in many of his epistles, would say things like this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And that's a warning to us. That's not just the early church. We have to be careful, don't we? You know, we, we, may be we don't consciously think that every day we go out to work or whatever, but, but we are susceptible to the influences of a pagan world and the world in which we live in. And are we influencing the world or is the world influencing us? That's a, another challenge, isn't it? So we have, we've seen the provision of God's law. So the second P are the parts of God's law. And this is where I thought, you know, do we go through each one? And I don't think, I don't think we need to, but, but I love the, the idea, and you probably know this as well, that, that half of them, four, maybe five, are Godwoods, so they have to do with God, don't they? You know, make no idols, keep the Sabbath, don't take the Lord's name in vain, don't use his, his, his name flippantly. And then the others being manwoods, you know, towards each other. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't cover, and so on. And it really forms the shape of the cross. It's, it's another little shadow of the cross, isn't it? That, that, you know, half of them are Godwoods. I think the one that is the pivotal one, perhaps, is, is honor your father and mother. And, and you think, well, that's, that's surely manwards, that's towards man. But actually, it's the only one of those that are maybe towards man that we have no choice in. We have no choice as to the family we were born in. And I know for some of us, for, for some of you, 
you know, maybe your experience of your parents was not great. You know, they, it's really hard. How do I honor a parent who has abused me? How, how do I do that? I think, the, I think that's where it's maybe Godwards, that God has allowed us to be born into the families we're born into, and that's part of who we are. That's, that's part of his character. And I don't want to diminish the hurt that can happen, uh, you know, from parents to, to children, but, but recognizing that, okay, God, you, you put me in that family for a reason. I, I suffered in that way for a reason, and, and I'm going to honor my parents. And, and honor doesn't necessarily mean we obey, and, and honor doesn't necess- necessarily mean we love. But, but we can honor in the sense of, of trusting God. So, so perhaps there's five that go Godward and five that go manward, or perhaps four and six. Um, but anyway, I, th- I think the key thing is that, that Jesus sums it up really with the word love, doesn't he? You know, when he's asked by the Pharisees, what's the greatest command? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That kind of covers it, doesn't it? As far as love for God, that really sums up the, those first commandments. And then again, that does the same in the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we don't, we don't want to steal things from ourselves. We don't generally want to murder ourselves. Uh, um, love is really the, the commandment. It was given in love to God's children for their benefit, for our benefit. And, uh, and that is the summary of the commandments. So the provision of the law, the parts of the law. What about the purpose of the law? Why was the law given? So let's, let's have a look at this. I think we've, we've maybe touched on this this morning. And, and Megan, when we sang that song about the, the holiness of God, I think we, we see the character, we see the heart, you know, we see the holiness of God, don't we, in, in the Ten Commandments. In the, in the giving of them, in that year spent at Sinai, in the way of, of God's dealing with his people, we see that God wants to be with man. God, I think Genesis 6 is the saddest verse in the Bible. God was grieved that he'd made man. And if, if the Bible ended there, wouldn't it be terrible? Wouldn't it be sad? But we have so much more. And this is the beginning, in a sense, of the end. This is the beginning of Jesus. This is the beginning of, 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 the, of the cross, that uh, we can see his character. A, a father giving good instruction to his children. And I think the whole surround of, of, of Sinai, the, the quaking mountain, the smoke, the fire, kind of shows his glory. But, but I think the words of the Ten Commandments also express his glory and who he is. And if you remember Romans 3.23, probably one of those verses that we need to memorize, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a fact, isn't it? Every single one of us has fallen short. And you look through those 10 commandments, you think, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never uh, coveted, have we? Uh, and, you, and you start to realize, actually, I have. But then you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you think, where Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder well, I say to you, if you hate your brother, then you've murdered him. If you lust after your neighbor's wife, you have committed adultery. So the law of Jesus is much stronger. So Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I, and I love what Paul says in Colossians. He, he says, the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't it great to know that we've fallen short of the glory of God, but when we come to Christ, we have this hope of glory. And it's not just to cross your fingers Hope, it's a hope of glory. Not because of anything we've done that is good, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So it shows us that the the purpose of the law, I think, firstly, is to show us who God is. He's a holy God, and he wants to be with man, but we need to live holy lives. We need to be holy to be with him, which, which we can't do. And that's the second point. The purpose of the law was not to, to make us holy, make us right with God, make us righteous, 
but was to point out our sin. And, and I think without the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't know what sin is. Paul, Paul tells us so many times in both Romans and Galatians, and, and it's very theological, and I think this is where Simon's worried that I'll get bogged down. And I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to give you a couple of snippets of, of what Paul says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. It's impossible. We can try all we want, and that's religion. But actually, righteousness is only found through faith in Jesus, through what he has done. So therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So the law exposes our sin. We read those Ten Commandments, the 613 laws that the Jews find that God gives them at Sinai. It's a lot, isn't it? And, and we recognize that we fall short. We fall short of God's standard. We fall short of his character and his glory. And then he says again in, later in Romans, what should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was if it had not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And, and I think that we sometimes forget uh, the, the purpose of the law. We sometimes forget that we've fallen short. We, we sometimes forget that God convicts our hearts so that, and points us to Jesus. Yeah, we feel wrong for the things we've done, but, but we need to remember that, that, that the law is there to point us to Jesus. I like what John Stott says um, regarding the law. This is in his commentary on Galatians, which is all about this, about the purpose of the law. And he says, no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the, star, the stars begin to appear. And it's only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. Isn't that wonderful that, that the law is given as that backdrop to expose our sin? And they stand out, mine stand out pretty clearly. I, I love reading the revivals. I don't know if any of you have done that. I love the uh, the Great Awakenings, the 18th century revivals, uh, Wesley and Harrell and Horace and Whitfield and all of those guys. And I just love, I would love to see revival. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to see revival in Duncan? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Conviction of sin. And so many times in, in, when you read the revivals, there's a supernatural work of, of the Spirit of God in people's hearts where, where grown men come from the fields, from, from plowing the field, from the, the factories and the workshops, and they're in tears and they come broken because of their sin, a conviction of, of how far they've fallen short. And then these revivalists sharing the gospel, like a soothing balm, you know, like, and, and you, you read it in many of, in Wesley's journal. And he says this on one occasion. He says, in the evening, while I was declaring that Jesus Christ had given himself a ransom for all, three persons, almost at once, sunk down as dead, having all their sins set in array before them. But in a short time, they were raised up. They knew that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world had taken away their sins. The wonderful soothing balm of the gospel against the backdrop of our sin and despair. We served at Cape and Rain, England for 27 years, 28 years, and probably heard hundreds of testimonies of students. We had small groups and we listened to every student's testimony. So over 20 years, it was, it was a lot. And, and it was surprising how often the testimony uh, didn't include conviction of sin. And, and I think, uh, I, I know it's maybe different in each of our stories. Sometimes that comes later. But, but I think that's the beginning of salvation, isn't it? That, that we're convicted of sin. We recognize our need, not just that we want Jesus, which is great that we do, 
but actually I have hurt God. I've hurt God by my actions and my activity and my thoughts and everything else, and I'm truly sorry. David's repentance in, in Psalm 51 when he sins with Bathsheba is, is eye-opening, you know, of true, contrite, broken-heartedness, where he says, give to me the joy of my salvation. Give me back my joy. And that's the brokenness of, of that inky blackness of the law exposing our sin. So to show us uh, the character of God, the purpose was to uh, not to make us right, but to point out our sin and to be a guardian. Let's just read these verses in, in Galatians. Um, I think it's one of the, the there's, there's many illustrations. Paul uses lots of illustrations to kind of uh, picture the law and how that, how that relates to Jesus. And, and I like these verses. Let me read uh, Galatians 4, uh, 1 to 4. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no longer different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to a guardian and trustees until a time set, for, set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And this is in regard to, to Paul's argument with the Galatians about the purpose of the law. And, and that's, that's what he's saying here, is that, that um, before Jesus came, we were like, uh, like a student under the tutelage of their teacher. We were, we were held captive by that. But it's much stronger. Our words don't really give full meaning to, to, to what that is. And this is a, uh, this is a terracotta statue uh, called the, the pedagogue and the boy. Uh, and this is the meaning. A, a pedagogue in Greek times would have been um, a, like a guardian or a caretaker, but somebody who perhaps the, the parent had died, who was the heir of an estate, and the pedagogue would, would take care of the child until he was of age, till he was 15 or 16, and would, would be with him 24-7 to, to care for the child, his, his protection, his physical needs, uh, his instruction, and so on. That was the job of a pedagogue. And, and that's what Paul says the, 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 the law was for. It was our pedagogue. It was to lead us eventually to our inheritance, which would be, be Jesus. So let's, let's look at that, the pinnacle. And this, this is where we'll finish, which I think I've managed to do within the 30 minutes, hopefully. Um, so the pinnacle of the law. So the purpose of the law is to expose our sin and our need for a savior, our need for Jesus. Um, and this is the, the, the pinnacle or, or the end of the law. And, and Jesus and, and Paul and some of the other writers refer to the law in, in a number of ways. And, and Paul says in, in, at the end of Romans, after a lot of theological discussion and argument, in the end, he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And when you first read that, you think, okay, so the law is done. It's no longer applicable. But really the, the, the end, it's the journey's end. He's the culmination of. Um, he, he's the, the end of the road for what we're expecting. He's the, um, the pedagogue is no longer needed. So the journey's end. And then Jesus says as well, he says, do not think, when he's asked by the, the Pharisees, he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come, I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And this is it. This is the, this is the culmination. This is the pinnacle of the law. You know, we can, we can look at the Old Testament and recognize God's character, his, his kindness and his love and everything else. But, but Jesus is, is the journey's end. He is the fulfillment. And, and we need to read these last few verses in, in chapter four, kind of to, to hopefully tie this together when the pedagogue is no longer needed. Verse four, but when the time had fully come, 
So we don't know God's timing and his, his economy, but, but this is God's, it's not just, okay, let's, let's send Jesus now. This was already planned. When God gave the Ten Commandments, this was already in his mind. The time had come. The, the pedagogue's not needed. We've, we've come of age. Um, when the time had fully gone, come, God sent his son. So, so God sent his son. So God sent God. In the beginning was the word. The word was God and the word was with God. Remember John 1? So God sent his son, born of a woman. So Jesus fulfills the law in the sense that he is God. He came from God. He's God's son. He's also born of a woman. So he's fully God, fully man. Born under law. So he's born under these 10 commandments, but fully righteous. He's the only human on the planet who has ever been able to, to live a righteous life and and live by the Ten Commandments. Um, so born of a woman under law to, re- to redeem those under law. Look at the qualifications of Jesus. There's no, there's no other person on the planet. There's no, there's Muhammad, Buddha, nobody else can do that who, who has met these requirements to redeem man for God. Under law. Born under law to redeem those who are under law that, me, that we might receive the full right of sons. And that is fantastic, isn't it? That, that now we can, can appropriate our full right as heirs and sons of a living God. We were under the tutelage of the pedagogue, pedagogue and now we, we have our rights as sons. We've been adopted into his family. So Jesus is the fulfillment and the pinnacle of the law. And, and that's really my takeaway for you today. And, and I, I love John 14, 6. I think it's, it's such a fantastic verse. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And doesn't that answer life's questions? You know, direction in life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. I mean, we, we are bombarded. In Canada, in 21st century, we're bombarded. This is truth. This is truth. This is truth. This is truth. I am the way, the truth. And the greatest life is only possible, only available, not through keeping the law, not through doing the best we can, not through any other human thing, but through Jesus. And access to the Father is not through the Ten Commandments, but through Jesus. The Ten Commandments exposes our need for him. So here we go. In conclusion, the law convicts us and exposes our sin. That's pretty evident, isn't it? We, we, it's like a mirror. That's what, that's what the Bible says. It's a mirror into our hearts. The law shows us our need for a savior. We, you know, we, we're incapable of fulfilling the law ourselves and keeping the law. We're, we're incapable of being righteous in God's sight. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So really our, our only logical conclusion, the only, the only possibility from here, you know, and if you, you've come this morning and, and maybe this is new to you, you know, maybe you've, you've never recognized your, your need for God, you've never recognized your sin, but really, there's only one response, one logical response if, if God has convicted your heart of sin and of your need for him, and that's Jesus. There's nothing else. So this was supposed to be a talk on the Ten Commandments, but really, it's, it's, a, it's, it's about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. I'll just leave that verse and we'll, we'll, we'll pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Thank you that it was displayed in, in the gift of the Ten Commandments to your chosen and holy people. Father, I thank you that your, 
your love is expressed right through the Bible from the beginning to the end. But Father, thank you for that amazing love that you expressed in sending your only son to pay the price that we couldn't pay, to die on the cross, to bear our sins, our filth and our muck in order that we have access to you through Jesus. Thank you for that. Father, I pray for, for our conversations this week with those that we work with, those that we go to school with, those that we meet. Father, give us wisdom of when to share you and how to share you. Give us boldness. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Father, would you convict them to, to come to know you through Jesus because there is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Amen.